0: Welcome to The Greener Way Podcast, a show about people, planet, and purpose, and how investors and corporate leaders push forward in a complex world. In this episode, I speak with Viola Lutz, head of ISS ESG Climate Solutions. Full disclosure, ISS owns both ISS ESG and Rainmaker Information, publisher of this podcast. First of all, welcome to the podcast, Viola. And if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself um, and talking a little bit about how your role at ISS uh, and how you got here.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. First of all, super thrilled to be here. So my role is I'm responsible for climate within ISS ESG. So ISS ESG is, of course, the sustainable investment arm of ISS, Institutional Shareholder Services, and within that we have a dedicated team on the topic of climate, simply because climate has its own dynamics, its own speed on product development, innovation, all of these things. I would say the easiest way to describe my rollers is, is, if something has to do with climate, sooner or later, it will cross my desk, which suits me very well because I'm very interested in all the topics that are ejected into it. I mean, climate was historically looked at as a more separate topic and has gained a lot of prominence as a standalone topic to clarify as it should so i'm i'm all mm-hmm. about that but mm-hmm. it interconnects with a couple of other key topics we need to talk about notably water and increasingly really biodiversity um mm. so so just to say i think the interconnectedness is is absolutely crucial and and i love that climate has the climate theme is is part of these these various dis- discussions Also very interesting in the Australian context, of course, the the just transition discussion. But I'm going off track with you here. Let me go back to your question. (laughs) So I think I had the chance of entering the field of sustainable finance by working at an NGO to do this investing initiative during my graduate degree in in Paris. Mm -hmm. And they were one of the very early players who looked into how can we quantify, how can we be really systematic? about the role of the financial industry in the climate topic. And from there, sort of, I I progressed and, and then came to ISS, joined ISS by an acquisition and then had the tremendous chance to continue to build out the the climate topic and theme. And
0: I've been in my current role since a good year now. As someone who has also joined ISS by acquisition as well, it's uh, we, we meet each other in a, in a position of equality here. <laughs> Um, so let's get into it. I, I'd be really interested um, on your views sort of uh, in terms of the state of play, in terms of uh, the conversations that you're having yeah. with clients um, and with companies about, which seems to be sort of dynamic tensions when it comes to client i.e. A climate, i.e. sort of the quest to come up with, you know, a set of quantifiable metrics that measures sort of progress mm-hmm. to decarbonization strategies and that tension with sort of the expansiveness of the topic, sort of the systematic implications of climate change, and and how do you navigate a pathway between those two poles? It's tough. I love
1: the terminology of dynamic tension. I will absolutely steal that. Um, I think it it is a tough one specifically because an easy example is a dirty company. What do you do about being an investor in such a dirty company. With dirty company, I mean, it's an emission intense industry, but it's exactly an emission intense company that needs to transition. So do you now engage with the company, meaning that as an investor, you you, you go there and, and you have that dialogue? How long do you keep that dialogue going? And when do you start to potentially also divest? And I would say that is some of the the key tensions that we see for some of the investors out there who are setting themselves net zero targets, which is a brave thing, a necessary, but also I would say a brave thing to do is how do you, you have to frame your targets in terms of emissions. And at the same time, you can reach those emission targets by divesting from the very companies you should stay in and you should actually engage with and make them make them change there's one added level of complexity here is and we've seen that increasingly as something to where we really have to pay attention to within the larger financial system and that is you engage with a company with a publicly listed one and then maybe they are selling off some of the problematic assets so the listed company looks good but the assets are being picked up by the private market by investors who you know might not be climate skeptics but you know maybe not that far away or or at least they're definitely planning to develop that irrespective of how you then then judge that so um the tension is there and i would say that different investors are simply navigating it in in different ways i think what the only way that currently i think investors can go about it is with a maximum degree of transparency because there is no single answer out there That doesn't mean there are trade-offs or a need for explanation.
0: So I think just transparency, transparency, transparency. Uh, this is often the argument you hear um, against divestment, particularly from uh, from issuers who happen to be in emissions-intensive companies. Uh, that you know, yes, you can you can force us to divest, but who is going to be on the other side of that sale? Um, it's obviously someone who's either heavily discounted the emissions intensity uh, or is indifferent to it, um, and and that that does not lead to economy-wide decarbonization. How, how do you help investors, um, in, f- either from from your consulting perspective or from sort of you know the rubric of ISS ESG in terms of being able to parse, you know where that carbon budget might be? How you help nudge companies uh, towards the outcomes of uh, net zero? And actually, I want to pick up on this uh, because you wrote in a piece from twenty twenty that um, you know net zero is an interesting concept but potentially has some fallacies tied to it. So maybe expl- maybe let's start there. Is is net zero uh, what we should be aiming for?
1: And principally, yes, absolutely. I think net zero is just so beautiful because if if you take it as a term in and of itself, every single climate scenario tends to be net zero. The question is, when are we getting to net zero? Um, So just to give you one example, one very prominent uh, net zero framework for a long time or, or climate scenario, I should say, low carbon scenario was the sustainable development scenario from the International Energy Agency. It's associated more or less with a 1.65 degree of, of global warming. So very much in in line with uh, the outcomes of the Paris Agreement, which was to stay well below two degrees of global warming by the end of the century. And this scenario, which was for a very long time used as as a benchmark for investments, actually reaches net zero by 2070. So I'm only highlighting this as an example to say, net zero can mean a lot of things. The question is net zero by when? And when most Mm -hmm. people speak about net zero nowadays, what they actually mean is net zero by 2050. I think the other important element to also talk about, I think especially also in those training contexts, for example, is net zero is necessary for CO2 emissions. For some of the other greenhouse gases, the reduction pathways are different. For example, Mm -hmm. also very interesting for methane, you do not need to get to net zero for methane. Important to know if you are in the agricultural field and you have anything to do with cows. Just Mm -hmm. to put one example out there. So just to say I think net zero is important. I think it's just be specific what you mean when you use the terminology. But just to be open, twenty fifty net zero by 2050 is what people are commonly referring to. Mm. And, And we then really help investors across the entirety of of the entire value chain of what might be relevant for them. So on the consulting side, we we do help investors with net zero target setting, thinking about how they can go about that. We help them with portfolio analytics. So finding out for their portfolio, for their various equities, where do they stand? What are the targets? Same on the sovereign side, same for fixed income. So where where do they stand? But we also then help on the action side. We have a team that does collaborative engagement Mm -hmm. for net zero and we have also integrated quite a number of our climate related data points on the voting sites for example we have a have a climate specific thematic voting policy that investors can subscribe to so really end to end trying to support investors on the topic of climate
0: what are investors greatest concerns viola um, is it you know whether or not to divest or engage is it you know sort of coming up with their own internal carbon portfolio budgets? Um, what, what, what are they sort of coming and asking you for?
1: I would say when it comes to how they want to act is to really dig deeper into the target setting of companies. Mm. Because emissions are good, but I think emissions sort of carbon footprinting numbers are good if you track them, use them to track your success in a way. Mm. Because I think what's better is to, to Look out for the companies that have really good targets, and then use your carbon footprinting to track whether or not they're actually moving along as a portfolio on these topics. And digging really deep into those targets is not is not easy. I, I brought a couple of statistics if I may, and you tell me if i'm if I can go nuts on the numbers or or oh, not. <laughs> we love
0: We love empirical evidence to back up our our philosophical musings here at FS Sustainability Viola. Hit us. Okay,
1: cool. So we we looked into it. Well, what we I, I mean, really, the team and shout out always to the team. Whatever I do, mm. it's it's on. You know, um, standing on the back of of giants, I would say, in the field and in the team. But so for for the ASX 300, we looked into well, what are the net zero targets that companies in the emission intense industries have set themselves that are also in the industries that are sort of the focus of the various investor coalitions um, out there. And just to give you a little bit of an idea, so we're speaking about sort of roughly 60 companies who are in the focus sectors of the Net Zero Asset Owner Alliance target setting framework. So a uh, framework for asset owners to set themselves net zero targets, and they say, mm-hmm. hey, focus on certain sectors. So this is 60, roughly 60 companies for the ASX 300. And of those, about half have set themselves a net zero pledge by 2050. Mm -hmm. So that's 27 companies who say by 2050, I want to be net zero. That sounds actually not too bad, but I think it's important to note A, it's by 2050. So no one from Mm -hmm. management, no one from the board um, will still be around by that point. And the other item is What are the details of that pledge? And and that's where you go a little bit into the nitty gritty that a lot of investors, to to your point, to your question, are interested in, because I think a pledge is only worth it if it really encompasses all the material activities of the company. So that means scope one and two emissions. So scope one Mm -hmm. emissions, emissions from direct operations, scope two from purchased heat and electricity. But now comes the cracks. Also the material scope three emissions. So the material emissions from the upstream and downstream value chain. And, and that Zero pledge is only worth its salt if it really goes into all of the relevant material climate impacts. And that's when only seven companies are left. So much less. And this, is, and this is still a pledge where we're talking about 2050, right? You can get me started on the medium-term targets and so on. I mean, the, the number gets smaller, as you can imagine. But just to say, even on sort of the big statement that in a way it doesn't have to cost me that much because it's 2050 mm-hmm. and I'm not going to be there, details need to still be worked on.
0: I find when I'm uh, interviewing companies um, on either their net, on their net zero pledges, their sustainability reporting, um, increasingly this is where I'm focusing a lot of my time in terms of talking to um, management about those interim targets. You know, what are you doing in 2040? What are you doing in 2030? How much are you depending on moonshot technology? to get you to mm-hmm. net zero by 2050. Um, it, it's it's interesting to see companies that are starting to turn their mind, but um, I think, you know, uh, I think, what was it, Climate Action 100 plus did their annual benchmark survey and they said that sort of, a, you know, a very, very small number of companies are doing things like allocating um, R&D and CapEx towards, that are in ways that are aligned mm-hmm. with their net zero pledges. So. Um, you know, even absent that that data on scope three, there's also that that huge gap between sort of now and twenty fifty as you pick up on it,
1: yeah, absolutely. And for the asx three hundred, only I think one percent of revenue is what we would define as green mm-hmm. of of the companies within the asx three hundred. And flip side of the coin, we are doing a lot. and and we also actually just recently in may launched um, a, a transition value at risk assessment methodology mm-hmm. and assessment. And if you run it for, The Australian index, actually 10% of market cap is potentially at risks from transition risks, climate-related transition risks. So it shows you, I think there's a good reason to start looking into that. And Mm. just to say this Mm -hmm. risk stems both from increased costs from, for example, carbon prices, but also from demand changes, assuming that a low-carbon economy will want green steel, will want green cement and and Mm -hmm. less coal. So so it's Uh these different effects that are wrapped up into a potential value at risk, which is 10% and quite substantial also compared to some of the other global indices.
0: Although you know, turning away from just the risk side or value at risk of the ASX 300, the flip side to that, again, I suppose, would be that there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for innovation and for you know unlocking sustainable finance, um, particularly on some of these transition goals. Does does the research uh, suggest where there are, you know possibilities for that that glass half full perspective, Viola, uh, in terms of where we're going oh, or where we should yes. be going?
1: Yeah, no. oh, good. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, no, definitely. I think you should always talk about the opportunities. And in a way, I would say 1% of green revenue means also you can grow that a lot. Mm. And we just had earlier a keynote from Chris Crispone at the conference. And he was also talking about the fact that it's true that, for example, some of the renewable energy jobs are not, or renewable energy in general is not necessarily um, jobs intense, but the mm-hmm. manufacturing around it or some of the servicing. There are interesting jobs to be had, especially, again, with with manufacturing around it, which can be quite attractive. Um, I think also, in general, we do see the technology start to be there. I think especially developed countries and and companies with good balance sheets, even if these balance sheets are, at the moment, backed by, by Brown activities, but they give you the scope to invest into R&D. We still need a fair amount of scale-up of technological, good technology solutions. And I think players that are able to, to scale up these solutions in a good way, they have mm-hmm. a good scope to also export that technology, expand on the back of that. So I think there's a lot of good opportunity to be to be had around that. And we've already seen it. Just think of the electric vehicle market, a lot of changes that have been afoot in the past years.
0: Look, and the amount of products that, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, would have been the realm of science fiction even, uh, that are now mainstream consumables uh, or, or, or nearly there. Um, I wanted to catch up on something I noticed from your uh, from your bio, Viola, that you are an active improv play theater player, and uh, <laughs> I, I often think, legitimately, it's uh, this is not me trying to reach, but I often think a lot of the discussions around sustainability are very much in the yes and space uh, because once you open the mm. door to material sustainable issues, there's always a yes and to it. So I guess I suppose this is the riddle that's not a riddle. Um, how is improv like? Biodiversity um, in terms of the, those yes and, now that we've talked about climate, let's, let's bring that even wider discussion to it. Um, are you turning your mind towards some of these bio- biodiversity risks and opportunities as well?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's a super interesting topic and I think it's, it's all about, we need to create a planet that is livable and we need to preserve a planet that is livable. And I think a lot of people know about the concept of planetary boundaries. Um, but it's essentially the idea is how can we live as societies so that we respect the various ecological boundaries that our planet has. And that is mm-hmm. respect to, with respect to emissions and climate change, but it also regards species loss, agricultural and soil health. And, and there are these variety of topics. And I think you can already with species loss, biodiversity, soil health, good nutrition, high quality food. All of these topics are very much interlinked, separate, yet interlinked. So to give you a couple of, of numbers and statistics again, of course, depending on how you slice and, and dice the numbers, but one says that about 40% of the species loss is linked to climate change.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Dramatic, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's a lot, but it also shows mm-hmm. you it's not all about climate change. It can also really be habitat loss and and other topics. And if you would think about addressing biodiversity and climate change, while there's a big overlap, the immediate priorities when you address one topic or the others are slightly different, right? Or slightly, well, actually fairly different. Climate change, bluntly speaking and and grossly oversimplifying, you're thinking utilities, energy and, and certain industrial sectors. By diversity, you are, of course, thinking a lot about different agricultural supply chains, for example, um, but big link. And if we want to solve the respective topics, we need to also think them in an interconnected way.
0: Taking sort of a holistic and expansive view on some of these issues can be uh, a challenge for the finance industry, which sort of here to forward, you know, deals with what can be expressed on the balance sheet. So um, to that extent, I mean, you know has the work of the t n f d or the draft you know sort of the draft uh sort of standards of the t n f d sort of do you find it to be and potentially a useful way of at least providing some indicative measurements that can start bringing these biodiversity considerations onto the balance sheet for for greater appreciation?
1: I have a very firm yes ish <laughs> on that as an answer <laughs> um, so do I think more disclosure is Always better, principally, Mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. And do I think the TNFD helps and will help even more in the future? Also firm, yes. So where's the Mm. ish (laughs) coming from? (laughs) I don't, it's not by chance that the TNFD is very similar in wording as the TCFD. So Task Force for Climate Related Financial Disclosure. And in that it mirrors the TCFD in terms of its pillar structure and, and so on and so forth. And which is good because TCFD has been picked up very widely also as as a reference point for regulators in terms of how they think about um, asking for climate related disclosure from corporates, non-financial and financial corporates. That being said, the the TCFD has the big challenge that it's very, catch all in certain elements. It asks for disclosure on a lot of the topics, Mm -hmm. which means that you can follow it by the letter by disclosing that you're doing nothing at all or disclosing it in about a lot of different ways. So translating that to the TNFD, yes, it helps, but the ish is very much what investors are looking for is data sets that are systematic, comparable. You can benchmark, you have comparable metrics. And I think capturing something, you know, nature related metrics is already quite tough and you can already Mm -hmm. have so many different variations of how you define maybe some of the metrics, how you define species loss, for example, related to biodiversity. Mm -hmm. And I'm by no means a biodiversity expert, but you know, plenty of different ways of of going about that. And so, so I think the TNFD will need to buckle down further in terms of asking for a couple of more specific comparable data points. Maybe similar to what we see in the climate field now happening with the TCFD for a long time. Again, very helpful framework has pushed the industry a lot, a lot, a lot. But I think the work that's now happening by the ISSB, so the International Sustainability Standard Board, Mm
2: -hmm. on
1: asking for a couple of very specific metrics definition and establishing that baseline for reporting will eventually also need to happen for biodiversity and nature related topics.
0: One imagines that ISSB will add that to their work program after they get these first two standards, uh, the one on I general imagine. sustainability, on, yeah. yes ending <laughs> for yes, them yes, as well. Yes, 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 <laughs> and, yeah.
1: I think they, they'll be around for quite some time. Their job is not Lord. done and they know it.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, look, you know, none of us, I think all of us can safely make it through all of our careers in sustainability and still feel the job isn't done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, in a way, shockingly so, right? one I, 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 I'm still hoping for a couple of very, very fantastic interim milestones there during my career, but fingers crossed.
0: I think the other the other way to look at it as well is that as we appreciate more ha- the, the, the centrality of sustainability, planetary boundaries, just transition impact, um, we dive more deeply and more profoundly into some of these indicators and relate them to investment portfolios. So to a certain extent, the work continues because there's still more to plumb. Um, at, at least that's how I try and look at it as opposed to, you know, creating jobs for the ESG industry. <laughs>
1: No, but I, I think it's it's also, I, I 100% agree. I think also ESG industry, it will not be as separate anymore, I think, mm. in five to 10 years, even sooner. It will be so integrated that your, your quote unquote regular equity analyst is inherently integrating all of these factors that you do not need the separate ESG team anymore. But I also, mm. I, I would agree, I think there's just also so much more to know globally about our ecosystems, how they interconnect our ocean system, ocean health. So I think it's also, the topics will be around for a while because we actually don't know so much about our planet. There's still a lot to learn about the natural world that surrounds us. And what I always love is, for example, on when you look into climate scenarios and climate science modeling, one of the hardest fields is modeling clouds which is super critical though for the whole tropical cyclone side of physical risks but but modeling clouds is very 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 difficult so i think it's just one example as to where where jobs and challenges and, and more knowledge that we need to create will be
0: around for quite some time mm-hmm. agreed and then look we haven't even brought in the dimension of um, you know the just transition and impact on on creating more equitable societies and equitable outcomes there's 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 all of that to to explore and and get into there. But unfortunately, I think uh, I think we will leave on let's leave on this good topic that we still have more to learn and explore about uh, our planet and our communities. Um, Viola, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. I really appreciated your insights. Such a
1: pleasure. Thank you, Rachel, for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to The Greener Way Podcast. If you like today's show, remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Any feedback? Contact us on podcast at fssustainability.com.au. I'm Rachel Allen Backus.
2: The Greener Way Podcast is a product of FS Sustainability, a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The Greener Way podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian Financial Service License and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, fssustainability.com.au.